it's not just a script where you come in as the comedian. You're reading it and seeing who will benefit from it and who won't. You have to read, gauge your audience. The empathy is huge. That really is. And that's whether you're using humor or not, empathy is a really, really important part of what we do. I said, do you mind if we call that kid over there? <laughs> so I pull the curtain and the kid looks over and sees me on a banana phone. My patient, number one, on a banana phone. And I, looks, and I go, here, it's for you. <laughs> and then I was able to leave the room and the two kids are talking to each other on banana phones. Welcome to Medic Mindset. I'm Ginger Locke. In this episode, I talked to Dr. Ben Abo. He's a paramedic and EMS physician. He's been on the TED stage. He's the medical director for Miami-Dade Fire Rescue's Venom response teams. He's a fellow in the Academy of Wilderness Medicine. He saved a stranger who collapsed on train tracks. And he's an international man of mystery. And in this episode, we will talk about none of that. Instead, I reached out to him because I wanted to make an episode about the use of humor in emergency medicine. And ever since the first day I saw a picture of him in his scrubs in the ER talking on a banana phone, I knew he would be the one to teach me what I need to know about when, where, and how to use humor in medicine. So without further ado, here's Dr. Ben Abo. I wanted to talk to you about humor. And when I think about humor in medicine, I think of Patch Adams. Mm -hmm. And then I think of you. You're the other person I think That's of. That's an honor. I'm looking for advice for myself and then also for other paramedics about effective use of humor in a couple of different occasions. One, how we keep ourselves loose before the patient and or family is present. And then also the use of humor when they are present. Let's pick the easy one first. When the patient and family aren't present, are you purposely being funny or is it just your nature? I think it really comes down to just being my nature. It's just how I've been, the way I started and in EMS as a teenager. Literally, the first shift that I had was the day after I turned 16. And after every call, I would just think about things, try and decompress everything. And I'm always the type of person anyway that just wants to make as many people feel comfortable as I can. So it just kind of came along with things. And I, I realized quite quickly that just being natural really helped a lot of people. And for me, that was humor. What's up with the banana phone? <laughs> What's that about? That whole thing. And it's, you know, the whole banana phone, which works out great because my name's also Ben. So I can really own that. It's funny. I go back and I found pictures at my parents' house of me talking on a banana phone, which I guess a lot of kids can find those pictures. But I feel like I really am going back to my childhood. Maybe I'm regressing. I don't know. Uh, as I progress with my career, I regress <laughs> psychosocially. I don't know. Developmentally. One of my best friends and big mentors, another EMS physician, Ben Lawner, also another goofball, and we both lecture every year at the Collegiate EMS Foundation. He did it. We were kind of going back and forth. You know, it was just a random sporadic, if there happened to be a banana around, we'd do it, put it on Facebook or something like that and call each other, so to speak. <laughs> when I was a resident, we didn't really do on call except for when we were on intensive care unit rotation. And being an emergency medicine resident, we usually never left the emergency department. On TV and other residencies, you know, where they're all having lunch and breakfast and coffee and walking around the hospital... I didn't get that experience. During my last month, I said, you know what? I'm going to 
randomly having lunch. I'm going to enjoy lunch or breakfast, really, after a sign out with everybody. And while there, I'm randomly sitting there in my scrubs with my stethoscope, looking all doctorly, <laughs> and took a selfie with a banana because I was thinking of Dr. Lawner. Then I decided, you know what? I'm going to do rounds with a banana phone. If they're going to make me wear that silly white coat, then by golly, I'm going to put something useful in it. And that was a banana. Right. So you're using it not just for in the heat of the moment of emergency medicine, but also as an educational kind of equalizer with to change that dynamic from teacher-student to more to humanize you? or Exactly. And it it helped with the nurses. Mm-hmm. It helped with the other staff. I go around, I'm looking at an x-ray. Oh, I'm taking a banana phone picture. Yeah. Um, I'm in the intensive care unit. I'm around on the floors. I'm in the elevator. And you see somebody with their IV pole. And I'm just like <laughs> talking to the banana phone. And they're kind of looking. They're like, is this guy really a doctor? <laughs> you know, is it like Patch Adams where, you know, I just have to cover up the meat packing company? Right. And I did it all month, every three days, 30-hour shifts, all these pictures. And then I said, all right, it's my last ICU shift ever. Last banana phone picture. And I posted that. Mm-hmm. And there was a Facebook outcry. I mean, I got pictures and posts from literally around the world, just nonstop. Mm-hmm. Friends and my friends' kids and other medics, paramedics in Saudi Arabia, everybody all over sending me banana phone pictures. Like, no, you got to keep it going. What do people love about that? <laughs> I think it's just, you know, I really don't know. I thought about it because I, I experienced it personally. So I yeah. can reflect on what I loved about it. I'm very curious. Yeah. I've I've worked hard to figure out. I'm like, why did I love that so much? And I think it's because in the world of medicine, there's a lot of intensity and it's intellectual and it can be pretty intense. And it was just, um, hmm. I remember looking at that and being like, Thank you. Like, I needed a break. That's my break. For me, and I feel that it is for other people too, it's a way to zoom out and just, oh. actually, like you said, take a break. Mm-hmm. We're in these intense, very emotional-filled things, these emotional-filled moments, and we have to make these crazy hard decisions, and sometimes you're just stuck in a rut. You're stuck with trying to make a decision, and you can only see certain sides. And you really, you need to zoom out. It's like when you look at art. I remember in high school and they were saying, oh, here's how you analyze art. And I'm like, oh, you go look at the cool pictures. And I could draw stick figures, of course, with curly hair. <laughs> and, and you're supposed to look at the whole picture. And then you look at the corner. And then you look at the whole picture. You look at another corner. And I just picture the turning the zoom up and down on a camera. We have to zoom in, look, look at the fine detail, then zoom out. And it kind of reminds you to zoom out and look at the big picture. Right. In reality, things could be worse. Sometimes it's a reminder that um, really it's not that bad of a situation. That zooming out is a stoic practice too. I don't know if you have mm-hmm. looked at stoicism, you know, 100 mile view, like you're up in the kind of universe looking down and it just makes things a little easier it to does. know that you're just a speck it's in time. It's surreal. And I hope that people that come to that realization don't freak out. They're like, oh, no, I'm just a little speck. Uh, don't sweep me away. It's true. But we're all connected specks. Mm. Hey, guys, popping in here just really quick because I have good news for the longevity of the podcast. From day one, my goal 
has been to make it sustainable. I wanted to keep making episodes, but as the podcast has grown, so have the costs. And this is where the good news actually comes in. An educational tech company that you may have heard of, they're called iSimulate, has sponsored the podcast. And I personally use their products. And I can tell you that iSimulate being in the classroom has been a game changer. Every episode, I'll tell you more about them. But for now, I just wanted to tell you that, that they've decided to support this little homegrown EMS podcast. And I think that action, their support, says more than words in an ad could ever say. I'll link to their website in the show notes, and I'll tell you a little bit more about them every episode. It's true, but we're all connected specs. Mm. And really interesting thing, and it it wasn't necessarily in the hospital. It wasn't on the ambulance or in my chase car or anything like that. I volunteer every year I can. I had to take a little break during uh, residency. But I volunteer for a therapy camp for kids that either have HIV or someone in their family has. So they're either infected or affected. By HIV. It's Camp Dreamcatcher up at, outside the Philly area. I usually was with the 10, 11 year old boys. And most of them are inner city kids and from really tough homes. They have multiple other issues going on. And this is their one week to kind of just get away and get that camping experience and counselors and mentors. One year, I was actually put with the mid older teenagers, and it was both the guys and the girls. So these were supposed to be the future counselors, but it was very very, very different dynamic having teenage inner city boys and girls. One day, and I didn't know what was going on, and you only have a few days to like really get to know these people, and then it's like family. And these girls were at another table during lunch, were just pouting and fighting and arguing, and just, it was nuts. That's why it was at breakfast. So at lunch, I walk over, and I sit down with them, and they're looking at me like, What? just what's going on. And I'm like, you got to cheer up. And they're like, I'm sure you can hear the frowns that were on their face. So I said, we're going to laugh. Like, what are you talking about? I said, I remember seeing a poster about some guy that did laughing yoga. And they're like, Benny, what are you talking about? (laughs) You could hear the eyes roll. You can see their faces. Just like, I said, we are all going to laugh. I'm asking for 30 seconds. I want all of us laughing for 30 seconds. I don't care what. It could be at my expense. I don't care. But we're going to laugh. They're like looking at each other. Is he serious? And I said, yes. And then I just started laughing. You start. You have to start. Oh, it, right? I started laughing. And I look like Sideshow Bob, but I <laughs> laugh like Krusty the Clown. And I just start laughing and they're silent. They're looking at each other, yeah. trying to oh, pout with the lip and all. But then you see the first girl to my right. Now she's biting your lip, looking around, just trying not to laugh. And I told her, I said, just let it out. And I'm laughing louder. Now she's laughing. And you have to be others. you have to be brave because you're just gonna keep going till they join you. And it could be an awkward moment, I it imagine. Was, oh, it totally was. Totally was. But risk and benefit, right? So now I have these three girls, teenage girls that just met me the day before, all laughing. And even when I stopped laughing, they were still laughing. And then they couldn't even stop laughing when we were all supposed to be quiet for something. (laughs) So then it just kept going, right? I made them hug it out. Everyone's getting along. We made plans to play cards later and just kind of talk things through. And you could feel the weight come off everybody's shoulders. Flash forward to the next meal. I'm sitting at another table. Girls come over the table. Hey, Benny, what you doing? I'm like (laughs) eating, hanging out. What's up? They're like, can, can, uh... 
can we do the laughing yoga again? <laughs> so now I've got a table of eight girls all doing this and just grew. In fact, for the talent show that week, they wanted to do laughing yoga with the entire camp. Wow. So we all go up on stage. And these were some of the, I mean, they are, these are some tough girls. And they go through a lot. We're up on stage and they're talking about how crappy they felt until I made them laugh with laughing yoga. And then we got the entire camp to do laughing yoga. I think when people are funny in a silly way like that, I know that they are psychologically safe. Like they're not going to be mean, basically. And there's another kind of humor that can be a little cutting and it doesn't feel safe. Yes. Do you have a sharpness to your humor sometimes too? Sometimes. It's a balance. I'm mostly goofy. Yeah, no, sometimes it gets a little biting. It kind of depends. And it's reading off of other people's energy and what's going to what's going to reach and what's not in the high stress or high emotion setting when you're in that moment and we all know all the listeners know that the moment I'm talking about have you ever tried humor there I have what does that look like if you can reflect or kind of elaborate I had a woman who needed to go to the cath lab she's having a STEMI and I'm talking to her about trying to convince her to go to the cath lab. And same kind of thing when I had a patient when I was on the ambulance. I wanted them to go to a certain hospital. Like, no, I only want to go here. Oh, no, I don't really want to. You're trying to talk to them about making this grave decision, and you want them to make the right decision. In fact, you don't really want it to be a decision. It's like, no, I made this decision for you. Accept it. Just accept it. Accept it. Accept it. And you got to come down to their level. And it's the same as I always I sit on the bed with them. I sit on the stretcher. I pull up a chair. If someone's in their living room in their chair I pull out one of their dining room chairs just to sit next to them or kneel down next to them and it just sometimes that's a perfect moment lightens it up they crack a smile and look at you and be like all right if that's what you think I need to do then that's what I need to do so you told me you you pull the chair up to them Mm -hmm. and you say something funny you do something funny yeah it it depends I've done both I've once I've just kind of sat there for a moment because they wouldn't talk to any of us and I just sat there staring and quiet. I'm like listening. And then they're trying not to look at you. And I just kind of made some goofy face. But you have to be careful with the goofy face. Yeah. You have to be careful with all of this. You. You, you do. And that's why I wanted to really try to dig in. I, it's so nuanced, I imagine. And mm-hmm. it's so um, customized to the person in front of you. I mean, it I'm sure really, it takes a lot of empathy. It really depends on this, the situation and the, the feeling. And I take my pride. I have a lot of pride in being able to read people. It just really depends on the moment. And sometimes I just have to make some kind of goofy face or make fun of myself. Yeah. That seems, or something. That seems like a safe bet. Whatever it takes to get them to realize that you really are there for them. I've also used it in some really tough situations in a car where we're trying to do an extrication. When I first moved to Gainesville, there was a bad wreck on the highway. I actually thought that I was going to do a field amputation there. We're trying to get access, and it was a bad, it was a bad call. I mean, we're talking about the parking brake between her tibia and fibula. Just, yeah, you know, granted, her laughing might have been helped by the fentanyl, but, but even before then, you know, it's it's a scary situation when you're stuck in this vehicle. And I can't remember what I said, but I I remember I remember cracking some jokes. Yeah. Just to kind of lighten it up. And it's one of those where, where's my IV? Where's this? Where's the pain meds? And I'm waiting for it. And every second feels like a minute. And every minute feels like an hour. 
And I finally get it. So I, I talked to her. And when I even followed up with her at the hospital the next day, spoiler alert, she did not have to get a field amputation, um, which is good. She was able to argue because otherwise she wouldn't have had a leg to stand on. <laughs> and that's probably a joke that I made. I, it probably was something like that about because her leg and, and, and you know, we're, we're going to get there. There's good luck. Good luck. Break a leg. Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> And she was receptive to that. And she absolutely was receptive to it. And it worked. And she appreciated it. And she remembers that. I've been in EMS. uh, Next month will be 22 years that I've been in EMS. And I can't think of a time yet where it's bit me in the rear. Mm -hmm. That was going to be a question I had. Because I, I have seen patients get turned off by... A person trying to use humor. So I think the secret sauce is that you are very empathetic and can, as you said, read the person and what their needs are before you start down. It's not just a script where you you come in as the comedian. You're reading it and seeing who will benefit from it and who won't. You have to read, gauge your audience. The empathy is huge. That really is. And that's whether you're using humor or not. Empathy is a really, really important part of what we do. We are meeting these people on the worst of times, the worst days of their life, possibly their last days of their life. And so whatever we can do to give them and show them empathy and really prove that we are listening. And a lot of times it comes down to picking up the little details. I remember in Pittsburgh as a medic student, we're at Medic Six's area and we're up, you know, the stairs on the outside and we go upstairs and this woman, it's, it's the laws of EMS, right? The heavier you are, the higher you live. <laughs> and no elevator, fifth floor walk up kind of thing. And she hasn't been out of her apartment in years. Her family gets food and she doesn't go to the doctor. And she had all these trolls, little troll dolls from like the 90s with the hair just right going up. When I say that, you, everyone, I'm sure can just picture that I got going it. up there. And I see them in a little row perfectly yeah. lined up. I don't know if they were. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm chatting and talking about you know, the medicine, and this is before CPAP and all the nitride to spray under the tongue and all. They're over here. You know, they're they're over on one side of the room, but if you notice the little things, or you take a look at the pictures that are around them, or even when they're trying to get their ID out and you see certain things in their wallet, let's be real, we all look. Yeah. Well, you know, I wonder if some people aren't looking, actually. I, I think you have to get to a level of comfort with your practice that you can see all that data. There is a difference between looking and seeing. Yeah. Just like there's a difference between hearing and listening. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge part that I try to teach all my students just in terms of how do you become empathetic? And you have to, you have to prove that you're listening. You might not have to say a single word. You might not have to do anything other than look them in the eye and put your hand on their shoulder but it shows that you're listening as opposed to just hearing. That's a big part. Yeah, it is. does take a bit to look at the little details. And then there are plenty of my partners. I'm like, oh, hey, did you notice this picture? Like, what are you talking about? It's what I do. I look around. I look at the details. I'll comment on their wallpaper, comment on rugs, whatever, you know. To your partner. To my partner, but also to them. That sometimes yeah. that's what I'm talking about with him. So I want to sit yeah. there for a minute because mm-hmm. I know about I know about this phenomenon you're talking about. And the first time as I was learning, I remember field preceptors doing that. And I remember thinking that is so I'm trying to think what it was for me. It taught me that they were relaxed. 
that they could look around and see the trolls. I was like, oh, I get it. Like you're more relaxed than me because I'm all here and tunnel vision yes. on the patient and you're stepping back and realizing like, we have a minute, we can look around. One time I was on a, um, it was a structure fire, but the fire was out. They're pulling down ceilings and things like that. The overhaul. Overhaul. Uh -huh. Okay. And I'm there with a partner that I enjoy. We're talking. We're just standing outside the ambulance and we're laughing and we're just having a good time. And someone mentioned to me, I, I don't remember who, but somebody that had been doing it longer than me. And they said, careful, like with the laughing and smiling, like we're at a house fire, like people lost their belongings. At the time, like I think, I think they're kind of right. The neighbor sees the medics just hamming it up over there. They could get the wrong impression. Absolutely. You have to read the situation. And if you talk to them and you develop a rapport, even though they're not really, they're patients, but they're not patients, they're okay, and you remind them and doing stuff, other people looking on can see that relationship start, and then it's not as awkward. That's helpful because I think what you're saying is it has to be in the context of a relationship where you've already proven that you're, the, you're a good guy. Yes. And even if to outside onlookers, they're looking and seeing crack jokes, but the people that are at their worst moments are also smiling or you have a relationship with them. So they, they, they're not as protective of those strangers, so to speak. But definitely there, there's times where I'm turning to other firefighters and other medics. I'm like, oh, sh you know, don't hold on. <laughs> we'll come back to that later. Right. Because you read something. Is it exactly. is, you see someone's face or you know the scenario or I, I realize I'm really asking for a lot here, but everything really comes to I I find myself always looking at people's body language, their facial expressions, every little thing. Whether they're, you know, picking at their nails, if they're gripping on something, are they are they standing there in like a dress and they're like scrunching it up? Yeah. Or their hands like gripping on something in their pocket. I'm always looking and reading that kind of stuff. Because no matter what, however you want to word it, it's just getting, you have to read them. Right. And you have to really get to their level. Yeah. And that's both physically, that's why I sit next to somebody. I sit on the ground sometimes. Yeah, if I have to, I'm just, I'm going to sit right down next to somebody and just, just chit chat. I was thinking about things I wanted to talk with you about, and I was going to tell you, I don't know where this is going to go, but uh, my daughter, when she was, I think, between two and three, she had her tonsils out. Mm -hmm. And when she came out of surgery, she said they were laughing at me. And I know they weren't laughing at her. I know they were just at work laughing. What do you make of that? So immediately a couple things come to my mind. It's tough. And no matter, sometimes people are going to think that and think things wrong. The first thing that really comes to my mind is, one of the only two times I've ever had complaints against me as a paramedic. And one was an overdose, an opiate overdose. And it's not one where I was using humor or anything like that. This was just, we're working a respiratory arrest and we get him back, we wake him up, we're trying to, he's really sick. It was a peri, you know, it was almost a cardiac arrest. And I'm working it and the um, guy wakes up and I'm trying to, talk to him and keep him calm. We're going to bring him to the hospital and the mom's in the kitchen. She's freaking out. We, I talked with her. I said, hey, we're going to do everything we can. Go through any medical history. Does he have medications? Do you mind go grabbing them for me? Okay, we're going to go to this hospital. Yada. You know, the, we do our shtick. Mm -hmm. The guy wakes up 
And he says, help me, help me. And I'm telling him, hey, buddy, I don't remember his name. It's Ben. I'm here for you. We're helping you. We are. I'm helping you. Help me, help me. I am, and we'll keep helping you. And then he was saying, oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. And I kept continuing to say, I am helping you. I am here. The mother mistook it for me pretending saying that I'm God. My son was saying, was talking, trying to talk to Jesus, and he was claiming that he was. Right. I'm like, what? That's just a (laughs) riddle that's unsolvable. It's just, yeah, it's just not there. And that's not, but that's their perspective. Okay. I get it. A little more careful. I learned that's for sure from that. What do you learn there? What what do you learn? That I really had to look at the whole situation. (laughs) And then still, would I have changed what I was saying to him? No, probably not. Because I felt in that moment that it was being calm. Because even when I'm saying it, once I got him to look at me as I'm saying it, I'm here for you. Even when he was yelling it, he was yelling it a little more quietly. Not because he was overdosing again, just because he was starting to settle down a bit. Not like I pushed any sedatives or anything. This is just talking. And then, of course, in the hospital, all the time, things like that happen. Are you laughing, are you laughing at me? No. I'm, and that's why I'm very careful. I love that the physician's areas are usually in what we call the fishbowl, so I can close the door. We have a fishbowl here. So yeah. It's a very important aspect. Then I also think about it, some of the kids in particular who don't know how to read social situations yet. And kids say some of the cutest, most adorable things. They do. And then and everyone laughs. And but they if they don't get the joke, right. sometimes they laugh because they're copying. And then they're like, "Wait, what is everyone laughing at?" Oh, they're laughing at me. And that might happen. However, I always do make sure that they are the focus and they feel like the focus, um, especially kids. When I do my shifts in the pediatric ER, one kid was five years old. She burned herself with soup. She had hot soup. She sits down. She's careful and she's sitting and she forgot that she had the hot soup and she goes to stand up. And this poor thing, second degree burn, some almost third, um, her her stomach, her entire crotch, like just poor thing. I mean, this is a highly sensitive area, bad burns. And we had to do deep breathing and everything. So, you know, even before ordering any medicine, I walk in with the trusty banana phone and... <laughs> The patient in the next bed thought that we were laughing at her. Right. This comes up. So then I pull the curtain and I realize that and she, I hear that going on, but this girl is feeling so much better. I said, do you mind if we call that kid over there? <laughs> so I pull the curtain and the kid looks over and sees me on a banana phone. My patient, number one on a banana phone. And, looks, and I go, here, it's for you. <laughs> and then I was able to leave the room. And the two kids are talking to each other on banana phones. And it all just calmed down. And the first one that was burned, I'll never forget this. I left her the banana phone as they're wheeling her out to be admitted. And so they can take care of the burns even more. And I bring the banana over to her. I said, here you go. If you need anything, you know who you can call. And she's like, oh, I'm calling you. And she grabs the banana. She hugged it so hard that there was smushed banana all over her new burn dressings. The nurse wanted to kill me because <laughs> she just made this beautiful burn package, so to speak. Another story that isn't so much the people misheard it. This is when I was working in Miami Children's Hospital. And I'm just talking with the kid, and this girl had never gotten sutures before. She was six years old. And across her face, and you just drug them? No. I don't like doing that if I don't have to. Mm-hmm. 
I definitely don't like to just papoose them and just wrap them up. Sure. But this girl, I'm just talking with her the whole time and distracting. We're talking about things. And two weeks later, there's something sitting on my computer. It was an entire week after this whole event. And she drew a picture and had big curly hair and the little girl and all these animals. And she remembered a week out from that horrible situation. She remembered us talking about all the animals that she wanted to pet and things she wanted to do. So she drew that picture. And she kept bugging her mom for several days. Can we bring it to the hospital to bring it to Dr. Ben? I still have that picture. It's still up on my uh, fridge. So you refer to yourself as Dr. Ben. What's that? It depends. Sometimes it's Dr. Ben, which that's that's like a very chiropractor thing to do. You go by your <laughs> doctor first name. Okay. Right? Dr. Ginger. Oh, you're a <laughs> chiropractor. Okay. <laughs> um, it's either chiropractic or pediatrics. Mm. Um, I do. it. You know. Yeah. So what do you think the peds I do, part is? I do. Sometimes I'm Dr. Ben, Dr. Benny, Dr. Benji, Dr. Hare. <laughs> I do that for the adults too. Like, yeah, hey, I know you can't remember the last name, but just just ask for the guy with the with the big fro. That's that's <laughs> fine. Um, yeah, it depends. Yeah, trying to make it less scary, especially for the kids. Even the adults are scared. I mean, come on. Oh, of course. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever had to. If you have you ever been on the other side of the stretcher? I've not been in an ambulance as a patient now. No, it's it's. I've had different. a sick kids that, control. that we didn't call nine one one for, but sick kids. Yeah. So, and I'm. It's terrible. I'm. Yes. Yeah, we have to remember that terrible. We have to as as providers, we That's have to remember that. Super important to remember, and that when you lose that control, and some people still, when my family members get sick, we were kidding around. I made T-shirts for a bit. Um, I survived Abo Thanksgiving because three years in a row, someone went to the hospital and it was, had nothing to do with my mother's cooking. <laughs> uh-huh. Nothing. It was just random, like someone's, you know, carotid stenosis was a little too much and she passed out. Someone else had an allergic reaction to the neighbor's dog that they were playing with. Even us, you know, you lose that control. So it's, a, it's an important thing to remember. But some of us, I remember growing up and my, my best friend's dad is a surgeon. But when my friend stepped on a piece of glass and he and he saw his kid's foot bleeding, he freaked out. Yeah. I remember my daughter uh, having hives once. I, mm-hmm. she, she'd been ill. It was like a viral thing that gave her the hives. She think it was Ebola? I thought, I didn't, I didn't think. <laughs> so I was checking on her in the middle of the night and I yeah. just saw some hives and then I got like a flashlight. And so it was just like this whole scene. I literally, Dr. Ben, spun in a circle. Like I, I just, I, I put down the, and just did a full circle. <laughs> And then I started making decisions, but I, I did a I did the chicken with her head cut off dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, it, it's different, and that's an important thing to realize. And I think that if we ever get the chance to experience it, I don't want I don't wish ill on anybody. But if you have that experience, I think that it's really important to remember it, so that you can truly be empathetic and not just sympathetic. And there's a big difference there. Have you seen the video of the pediatrician that throws these Kleenexes up in the air and then gives the immunization? Yes. That <laughs> I love that. I, I, I adore it. You know, it's, and one of the biggest honors is being, uh, you know, compared with Patch Adams. And then when that video hit Facebook, like, I was tagged by at least 70 people. Why do people tag you? Like, hey, it's Dr. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> you do stuff like that? You do this, don't you? Yeah, I do. 
hey, that guy's got skills. I tried doing that once, and the tissue box just went flying across the room. So he's got tissue skills. I thought you meant human skills. Well, he's got all of it. He's got it all. You know, I was really honored by that. I was like, oh, that's awesome. He he seriously has skills, and that's exactly it. Whatever you got to do, sure, you've got a lot of tissues to clean up. (laughs) I looked at that video the first time. I'm like, well, that's cheating. Like, we can't do that. And then it's like, oh, no, we can totally do stuff like that. For me, I get kind of get these boundaries of like, well, we just hold them down and we give the shot and then it's over and then he's going to be crying, you know, and, he and then he's just going to forget about it. No, it's he completely just hacked that. Absolutely. I think probably everyone has seen that video by now, but I'll link to it in the show notes if I can find it back. I'm Good, Because sure if they YouTube. haven't seen it, they need to. Mm-hmm. And if they've seen it, they need to see it again. Why? Why? Because no, I, don't, I don't think it can not make anybody smile. It just, and it's a reminder that simple little things can really make a difference and lighten a horrible, painful situation, whether it's painful literally or figuratively or emotionally. I just, I just had another uh, memory of when I was volunteering outside of Pittsburgh when I was in college. Uh, for me, college, junior year was my paramedic year when I did my paramedic school. So I was volunteering as a paramedic or as an EMT. We're on the highway. It's winter. It's Pittsburgh. It's cold. Right? So we're on the highway. There's a car wreck, and I'm doing my trauma assessment. And this girl's freaking out about her car. She just bought it. It was not even two days old. This is also, I learned a very, very valuable lesson. Um, you never cut a down coat. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> so, I was waiting for something really deep. I was like, oh, this is going to be the deep. Well, it's a tr- this is a trauma alert. <laughs> and if you're going to cut it, be careful and cut it down the zipper first. Feathers everywhere. But then it gets worse because it was a trauma patient and she had open fractures and things. So it just looked like we were slaughtering chickens. There's bloody feathers all over the place. And, you know, the feathers are going all over and I'm talking to her and um, I'm asking her questions and just spitting out feathers that are getting in my mouth. She's laughing at me doing that. And I'm like, should I just, should I swallow? I don't know what to do. I'm going to start sneezing on you. I'm sorry ahead of time. And then she's like, oh my God, someone said, is that my blood? I said, yeah, you know, but it's okay because it's mixed up. We're slaughtering some chickens and, and it just helped. Going back to what you just said about paramedic school, you said you were in your third year of college or something. Tell me about your educational background. So I started in EMS as a 16-year-old, literally the day after I turned 16, volunteering in Mount Laurel EMS. It's Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Uh, I went to college at University of Pittsburgh, and I found myself in the emergency medicine or EMS bachelor's program. Your junior year is paramedic school. Um, we rode with Pittsburgh EMS, and it was great. Fourth year, your senior year is all this, is more leadership and education stuff, research and EMS. My dad, being a Jewish accountant, was very proud that I got an A in accounting for EMS. You know, he had, you know the ambulance is going to cost this much. This is how you budget. Okay. But, uh, you know, other classes too, like uh, educational issues and EMS agenda for the future, legal issues. We had Steve Worth and, and Doug Wolford come and talk to us about legal issues. And so that was my senior year. It was more of a the leadership and also included critical care paramedic. Okay. That's yeah. when I got my CCMTP. So can I ask you a question unrelated to this? No. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, unrelated to the topic of humor. The question is, would you have picked to become a paramedic if 
you couldn't have had a bachelor's degree in that. And the reason I ask is you referenced your dad. At a younger age, there's kind of this pressure from parents about what you're going to pick. If it hadn't been an option to get a bachelor's degree, what's the official name of your degree? I have a bachelor of science in emergency medicine. If that hadn't have existed, do you think you would have become a paramedic? It's, I don't know if the listeners can hear the smile that's on my face, like how big it is, because it's, it, it's really funny. So for me, when I was applying to schools, I, music was my background. I was in every music group except for the all-girls choir in high school. I had my own bands, and but I really fell in love with sciences. But then I also started volunteering in high school on the ambulance, and I got addicted to it. That, that EMS is my addiction, still is. Um, I'm a non-recovering addict for 22 years. When I was applying to colleges, it was like genetic sciences, thought pre-med, I was going the science route, whether it's like genetic engineer or cause I just really love the sciences. And when I applied to the University of Pittsburgh, this is a really haphazard way, but I, when I applied to the University of Pittsburgh, um, you check off your intended majors because you can't declare your major before you go to college. So I saw pre-med and I saw emergency medicine and I thought, ah, that's like pre-med with an emergency medicine focus. That's what I, so I checked that off. So I go to Pitt and I start going to the conference and be, I'm doing my prereqs for the degree program, but I still was active anyway. And I, that's why I met like Greg Margolis and Walt Stoy and, the, and Tom Platt. And I realized I literally, I had a meeting with Greg Margolis and I'm like, I'm in what program or I'm, I'm about to what? So for me, I didn't honestly realize what I was in at first. However, when I realized what I was in, I could have jumped ship. I could have focused. There are a lot of people that were in the degree program with me that were using it as a stepping stone they already knew for medical school. That's what I was going to ask you is your plan was to go to medical school at this point. Init- well, initially. Then when I was in the degree program and doing it, cause I, and I love EMS, and I was volunteering all the time during classes, and for better or for worse, and I realized how much there was that I can do as a paramedic. Like I didn't go from college and then apply to medical school right away. I actually stayed on faculty and staff at Center for Emergency Medicine and University of Pittsburgh, and I did research and education, and that was my thing. I started college with the intention of being a physician, but then did college and finished college with no intentions of being a physician. Then several years went by. My goal became to be an EMS physician because out of the mentors and the amazing mentors that I had in Pittsburgh and around, Ron Roth, Paul Paris, Henry Wang, and I realized I could do more for the field of EMS as a physician. Not do more in EMS per se, but I could do more for others, mentorship, education, my international stuff that I love doing. I could do more as an EMS physician. And at the time, was there an EMS fellowship or a, a board certification in EMS at the time? Like when you say, I knew I wanted to be an EMS physician. They had an EMS fellowship there at Pittsburgh. Yeah. I, I felt like I was, I kind of acted, I'm the self-proclaimed mascot at the time of the Pitt EM residency and the EMS fellowship. Mm-hmm. I just, I was obsessed with them. I I would do ride-alongs with some of them and and work with the docs and, and just everything and just does the thing. And I'm still, I'm still paramedic. So in fact, I'm a paramedoc. Um, 
Will Smith and I were talking about, we we're trying to kind of come up with a term because there's, you know, there's, there's physicians, there's medical directors, and some are just signature. It's a like rating. You know, some are just signatures. Some are EMS physicians. Some are really active EMS physicians or street docs. And then some of us are paramedics. There's all different, all different things to it. I saw when I walked in the Austin Travis County um, Office of the Medical Director's vehicle, and it mm-hmm. said EMS physician on there. Yeah, that's that. That vehicle mm-hmm. for in Pittsburgh was a turning point for me. Yeah, seeing that because that that became my goal. Yeah, and then to make it at my style too. Because hmm. it's nice. It's like we're. I mean, we're paramedics, right? There's all these amazing things that we can do, and we don't get paid for what we do. We get paid for what we are prepared to do. And I loved being able to do that. So I, you know, Bowen's notice, I might have to suddenly fix someone's airway. Or I might just have to carry them down five flights of steps because five flights means they're at least 500 pounds, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Unless it's icy winter, then 600 pounds. The graph will be in the show notes too. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it just, to really make a difference. And paramedics can do so much. And whatever I can do to mentor students, to mentor people, to know that they can make a difference and keep raising the bar, that's why I did where I'm at. Um, thanks for not jumping ship, and thanks for doing EMS. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think we should stop there, um, unless you've got any anything else that you want to comment on, mention. I would just say, you know, I never like hearing, personally, oh, I'm just an EMT, or I'm just a paramedic. No, 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 no. You're paramedic. And that's a big difference. That's that's what I would leave everything with. And how can people find pictures of you with the banana phone? Where are you on Twitter? My at Ben Abo. So just Ben Abo. B- ben A-B-O. 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 Last name is the blood types. <laughs> Works out perfectly. Ben Abo. Um, and then that's also my Instagram. Ben Without Borders is my Facebook thing. And uh, otherwise, you could look for on Twitter or the others. You can hashtag Bananaphone or Ben Anaphone, and plenty will come up. It's, you know, EMS World wanted EMS World Online wanted a picture from me. There's an awesome picture from the news, and I'm getting a patient off of Miami Dade Fire Rescue's helicopter and trauma patient. When you look close, it kind of looks like because I'm, I'm giving the thumbs up, but it kind of looks like I'm saying, "Call me, maybe." <laughs> I was not holding a banana. Okay. However, this is this is a beautiful picture that they that they wanted, and the editor she asked me for the picture, and I accidentally sent her that and a picture of me in a DMAT, the disaster team tent. Um, so, and I was on the disaster team as a paramedic, and now as a physician or paramedic. And there's a picture of me in the tent with the from the life pack pretending to check it and talking on the banana phone. And I accidentally sent her that too. And she's she she replies, she goes, That is hysterical. And I'm I'm like, oh no. <laughs> I was trying to send it, you know, high fidelity picture from my iPhone. And I'm like, oh no. She's like, No, please, do you do you mind? I'm like, I I have no dignity. I don't care. So yeah, send it. She's like, Oh, we're gonna do a caption contest. And that picture... I remember that, actually. And she kept e- updating me every day. She's like, this is one of the most most popular pictures. And it's funny going through the, the captions. And I'm really proud, like, seeing all these puns and, and captions and stuff. And I'll see, again, medics in Saudi Arabia or whoever, like, is that Ben Abo? Da, da, da. Like, it just... They didn't have to see the caption. They just see Banana Phone. And it just was... 
it was awesome. And it's a reminder that we can really love our jobs, I think. Yeah. And honestly, the reason I am sitting with you right now is because I saw that picture of you. I found it relatable. <laughs> and I realized, like, this is a guy I can call up. Yep. I'm you glad know? you did. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad you did.